And this is all about managing risk. How much risk are you comfortable with? Because we could talk about the type of attacks that people will do against you, but you have to be comfortable with certain levels of risk. Now, some people may have been really lucky and may not have any kind of incidents that they know of. So they say, well, I don't need to do all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like gambling with Bitcoin or or with the stock market or in Vegas. Someday something's going to happen to you. Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 121. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs, and on today's episode, I'm interviewing David Henry. David is a finance industry technology consultant, certified information security professional, and he was also a full-time RVer for eight years and is the father of Kelsey Henry, my podcast editor, who you've heard me talk about on the show before. I asked David to come on the podcast today to talk about how to protect your business and your personal assets when you're traveling in an RV. A few things that we talk about in this episode is cyber resiliency and how to keep yourself safe online, why you need to back up your information and then back it up again, and how exactly do hackers and other people who are malicious get access to your information and what they do with it online. This isn't exactly the rah-rah type of inspirational episode that I like to do, but it's also very practical, and it's something that I hope if you follow some of the things that David outlines in this episode, it can save you a lot of headache down the line. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode with David Henry. Let's get into it. David, thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Keith. Yeah, I wouldn't miss it. (laughs) So I want to just give like a little fun fact to anybody listening right now. David is a big part of the reason why we were able to go do Hourly America indirectly. David, you were the CTO at Snagajob for several years, and we didn't actually know this until like we had actually finished our first year of travel. But because you had been living in a fifth wheel, you were full-time RVing when you were the CTO of Snagajob, you were kind of planting the seed that they should work more with RVers. Yeah, we were looking for ways to uh, get the brand out there. And I said, well, we, we need to just hire some people and get some RVs and paint them Snagajob orange <laughs> and put Snagajob on it and go go do some interesting things with Hourly America. And, you know, they thought that was a good idea, but got distracted with other things and it never, never went anywhere. So when you reached out to uh, the marketing guys at, at Snagajob, they had already heard that before. So they'd been put in their ear and, and uh I took it. I took the bait. It worked out really great. I love it because they, I mean, this never actually got brought up that you had been there living in an RV. And then we met you over a year later because I think Christy found our blog. I think she was, I guess, searching something for RVing and then she found out what we had done with Snagajob. So it wasn't exactly the bright orange color of Snagajob. It was this old, dirty brown 20 year old RV, but it still got the job done. Well, you know, uh, sometimes going low key is better with, with the, <laughs> for the market that, that Snagajob is in. So I think that worked out really well. Yeah, it, it, it could kind of fit there. So I brought you on today because you're going to be hosting a workshop at the summit talking about how to protect your business assets, your personal assets, and just stay protected whenever you're on the road. And I just think it's kind of cool to give a little bit of backstory on this topic because you've been CTO at several different companies. And kind of just jumping in real quick, what made you guys decide to go in and do the RV thing, like in the very first place? Like you had pretty high jobs at these companies at the CTO level, at the high level. I mean, I'm sure that you could have covered housing and the companies would have helped with things like that. So why why do the RV thing in the first place? 
So we, we had decided uh, with, with our boys to keep them in the same school system. So I, I was a road warrior for 15 years, half, you know, over 2 million miles in American Airlines, plus a bunch on Delta. And when we got to uh, 2004, my wife Christy said, okay, we're going to go with you. And to me, that kind of meant, okay, we're going to sell a house, we're going to put everything in storage, we're going to do the Great Purge, and we're going to get a condo on the beach in San Diego, because I was actually <laughs> working in San Diego at the time. And after the purge started, she says, no, we're getting an RV. And I said, well, okay, you, you got to find the RV park. And uh, she actually did. She found a really great one at Camp Land on the Bay, in on Mission Bay in, in San Diego. So we got really spoiled on our first uh, real on-site <laughs> assignment. But the reason it worked out great for us, Heath, is that, you know, when, when you're in technology, it tends to be kind of project based. People hire me kind of to do a specific mission, which usually takes uh, one to three years. And then after that, business changes and directions change. And typically they want somebody different. When they hire you, you they say it's for long, long term. But you got to be realistic about this kind of stuff. So you either end up being a road warrior or you get stuck looking for positions only in that job market. So being RV mobile really improves your job flexibility if you can organize your life around doing that. So if you got kids, you got to take them with you or, you know, they can they need to go in school, even homeschool. We homeschool Kelsey and I, I think she's doing a uh, breakout session with Catherine on on homeschooling. Yeah, she is. So she had a really interesting homeschooling experience, uh, was mostly self-taught, but it really provides flexibility. So when, when people would call me saying, are you interested in a job in Richmond, Virginia, or actually it was a consulting assignment in Richmond, Virginia, it was like, okay, we could be there in two, three days. Then I found <laughs> out I had two feet of snow. I said, well, maybe we ought to just drive there and do the hotel thing first and see what it's like. And before we bring the RV. And, but with, then we brought the RV out there and, and, and that worked. And then when Snag a Job changed directions and I had finished what they had asked me to do, I said, well, let me help you find another CTO. It's time time for us to go do something else. And, and, and it worked out great. I love that. And I mean, it's been kind of cool to see. I love telling the story of Kelsey. You know, she wanted to go back and kind of prove to the world that as a homeschool slash road school kid, she could go get a job and, you know, go to college and do all that. And she did. She's got her master's and she did really well. And, you know, now she's, you know, juggling podcast clients and other clients that she's working with and and also trying to even figure out how she can do some more RV trips in the future. So I, I think it's pretty cool what you guys were able to do with Kelsey. And I think given her a really cool experience. But I want to talk today uh, and kind of dig into just security. This is not something I've ever talked about on the podcast, but I think it's important. And it's something that for me, it's it kind of feels intimidating. Like I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start thinking about these things. I mean, we have a blog, we have a software startup, and a lot of people who listen may have presences online. So when you're talking to somebody about how to protect your personal information on the road, let's start there. What are some big mistakes that people have when it comes to protecting their personal info? Well, first of all, we are much too trusting as a society in the United States. And as RVers, we tend to be even more trusting of other people. So we do things like like leaving sharing open on our computers. What do you mean we leave sharing open on our computer like Bluetooth? 
uh, Bluetooth, uh, Wi-Fi. We might on our disk drives. You know, you can you can share your drive. So when you're particularly if you're working with someone else that you, when you're doing a meetup, mm-hmm. uh, you just set up a, a local uh, peer-to-peer network with by open up sharing on your drives, and, and uh, that way you can share information back and forth. Well, that exposes you to bad actors. So what, what we call in the industry is bad actors is people that look to steal information or just for fun, trying to figure out how to hack in and just cause, you know, be malicious. And uh, so, so you really need to focus on kind of locking things down when you're not, don't need to be sharing. I always have like my Bluetooth and Wi-Fi on. So you're saying that when we go places like Starbucks and coffee shops and public places that we should look at not doing that? Well, both of those things are relatively insecure. Now, I do use Bluetooth a lot, so I leave that on. But as far as Wi-Fi goes, I typically, unless I need to connect to something, I turn it off. If you're running a firewall on your computer, then it, it may be okay to use uh, use somebody else's Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or someplace like that. I sometimes do that. But I also separate my devices by kind of the responsibility. And we're going to talk about doing this. If you're doing things with your financial accounts, then that's kind of one level of risk. And this is all about managing risk. How much risk are you comfortable with? Because we can talk about the type of attacks that people have, you know, will will do against you. But you have to be comfortable with certain levels of risk. Now, some people may have been really lucky and may not have any kind of incidents that they know of. So they say, well, I don't need to do all that kind of stuff. And they're just, it, it, it's kind of like gambling with Bitcoin or, or with the stock market or in Vegas. Is it, is it sometimes, someday something's going to happen to you? I, I haven't been on the receiving end of some really bad attacks, particularly in the banking industry. And those things out there, in fact, the, the attacks are getting much more serious, particularly with things like ransomware, where, you know, just by going to visit a site that, that has been infected, you'll download something that will start locking and encrypting all the data on your computer. And then you get a pop up that says you need to pay us uh, 0.01 Bitcoin or you will lose your data and you have two days or whatever to get it. That's called a ransomware attack. And those ransomware attacks, very few people actually get their data back because the people that write these attacks aren't very good and the payment mechanisms don't work, even if you pay. So you lose your data. So you need to figure out, okay, how do I be resilient with all this bad stuff that's going on? So I can either lock things down a little bit more. I can use backups on a kind of a loose schedule. I wouldn't be as rigorous as a big bank because that gets pretty onerous. But but things like that, and, and maybe separate responsibilities to, by device. So if you have one device that you use a lot for financial stuff, like all of your bookkeeping, your managing your contractors, managing your, your bank and, and any other kind of financial accounts, your credit cards. What I do is I actually use a dedicated device for that. I just bought an iPad. doesn't have to have much memory. And the only thing it does is financial accounts. So when you say that, because, I mean, we have our information in several different places, you know, like we have our online banking, we've mm-hmm. got a Google Excel spreadsheets where we track, you know, numbers that are important to us to kind of remember uh, wouldn't be the worst if those got a hold. And then we also now have use FreshBooks and things like that to handle uh, invoicing and things like that to clients. So you're saying basically anything that falls under that financial realm, you would use on one device? Particularly if it has confidential information. If it has a social security number or an account number or something like that, then you use it on a particular device. 
Now, the books for your business, you'll have to decide. If you're using the cloud for that anyway, then uh, there, there are other points of penetration because, uh, well, Google's actually pretty good, so that, that, that might work. You could use it on that device. But the key thing is that you don't check email and you don't go web surfing on that device, like ever. Mm. So now that, that's pretty strict. A lot of people aren't going to want to do that. So the next best thing is on your laptop, at least two different kinds of browsers. So for just web serving, that kind of thing, just general interest, email, you use maybe Chrome. For your banking business, you know, if you're using a Mac, for financial stuff, maybe you use Safari. Because a lot of the infections come in and get stuck in the browser. And they, they start logging stuff that you do in the browser. And so you don't even know that this is happening. Well, you hardly ever know that it's happening. Occasionally, you, you click on something and say, oh, crap, I shouldn't have done that. That was a bad site. Uh, because something doesn't look right. Hmm. But people are getting a lot better at making things look legit, particularly with email phishing. Uh, They'll send you something that looks like it's from your bank, and it's getting worse with phone calls. You know, the automated phone calls you get, it might actually sound like it's really your bank or really your insurance company or something like that. So they'll want you to return with uh, maybe the last four digits, so the social security number or something like that. Never give out information on an inbound contact to you. Always say, what's your extension? I'll call you back on the number that's on the back of my card, credit card, debit card, or my bank number, whatever. And if they can't give you an extension, then it wasn't really your bank. Because most of those people don't call you. Another scam that's going around is that you'll get an email or a call from the IRS. The IRS doesn't do that. They always use written communication. The IRS scams against your against your tax return uh, refunds this time of the year are huge. So you got to be really careful against that kind of thing. Yeah, let's let's kind of use us as a bit of a like a case study here, so we can kind okay. of start figuring out like, okay, what are the things that you know somebody like we could do to you know protect ourselves? So uh, understanding where we could keep confidential information, different browsers that totally makes sense. Uh, we also have our blog. So our blog, uh, you know, we're getting over, you know, a million hits a year on our blog now and, you know, more traffic coming to that. It's a revenue generator now for our business. So it's mm-hmm. we want to make sure to protect that asset. Okay. What are things that we need to do to make sure that we're protecting that? Obviously, I heard a minute ago, making sure that you're not downloading crazy plugins. But how else can we be proactive on making sure that we're protecting that part of our business? Okay, so the first thing to do is to start using a secure connection for your customers. It provides a little bit of improved trust between you and your audience. So have an SSL or TLS connection. And I understand that David Blackman's going to be there. He can help you do that. If you're not, what, what kind of plugins to use in order to get uh, and go through that process to, to get a certificate. And what is an SSL certificate? Like what all is, uh, can you kind of explain that? So basically what you're doing is you're getting a certificate from a authorized authority that allows, does public key encryption to let people know that's really you. So they can see your public certificate and it, they match it up with a certificate authority and the authority says, yep, that's them. So they trust that it's you. It's really you. So you're a legit site. That means also that you can, can you encrypt your traffic between you negotiate an encryption key between your audience and your site so that your traffic is encrypted. So basically, it's, it's one level of trust and it's an encryption of your traffic. So particularly when you're things, doing things like entering passwords and all that, it's just another level of, of security. 
Okay, so getting the SSL certificate is one thing. It's kind of like getting the RVIA sticker from the manufacturer on your RV. Like they're verifying that this RV is legit. In, in Absolutely. Way. Yeah, so that's kind of the example there that I translated that to. And then encrypting login and information because I've been getting these spam emails and then it, it actually directs me to my website with yep. this jumbled mess of a what looks like your passwords that you typically get, but it's putting that in the in the username. Oh, that's really interesting. I noted that the phishing is getting much more targeted, and actually that's called spear phishing, where they have already collected information about you because most of the things we do on the internet is not encrypted. And that means it's in, in security terms, it's called clear text. It's not encrypted. So anybody on the Internet, if it passes through their node on the Internet, can read it. And there are people that are collecting this information, particularly nation states like China and Russia and North Korea and those kind of folks. They're collecting terabytes, petabytes of information about Americans and, and other people. And they will use that for, for bad things, particularly if they are not a military organization, but they're kind of a, like a militia where they need to fund themselves. They just, they, you know, they, they figure out how to steal your credit cards, your debit cards, your bank accounts, all that to fund themselves. So you got to be really careful about what you put onto information that's not got one of those little secured locks or other security icons, noting that you're, you have an SSL or TLS connection to, to the site you're talking about. So, so the next thing, Keith, you could do to lock down your site is to make sure that nobody can get in and administrate the site to install some bad plugins and things of that nature. So, so we should remove Kelsey from our admin list. Is that you're No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, well, you need you need to first of all change the default name of the admin account on your you know particularly if you're like using WordPress, mm-hmm. don't use admin. Change it to something else. So do, change the URL so it's not Heath, you know, heathandalyssa.com slash WP dash admin or whatever, like how every WordPress site is. Yeah, like WP dash admin. I don't remember the uh, when you log in. I'm, I'm not a WordPress guru. You know, I, I used it to set up a couple of accounts a long time ago. But, uh, you know, some people like David could, could help you figure out how to uh, – change the admin ID, you know, the slash, the slash admin when you log in might have to be changed to something like like uh, admin five or something like that. Just change the admin name so it's harder to guess. Hmm. Uh, the next thing to do is to make sure you're using a fairly complex password for the admin account and passwords. I'm going to talk about passwords quite a bit because the thinking on passwords has changed, evolved a lot in the last 10 years to make it harder for someone to guess your password. Yeah, one thing that we're doing right now with campground booking, uh, the campgrounds, is that Paul has changed it, I think, to from went from 12 to like 16 characters. So you almost have to come up with like a phrase. That's the ideal thing to do now. You know, you know it used to be you'd put together all these kind of complicated characters in there. Yeah, it's good to kind of still do that. But we're going to talk about at the summit how bad actors actually get your password. And uh, it's really interesting because I've sat there and watched people actually do this online. We did that when I was at Digital Insight. Uh, we had some really interesting attacks against password guessing. And so we can talk a little bit about, about how that process works. But you need to you know, limit the number of password attempts maybe to uh, three to five, something like that. So somebody can just keep there and just drill down and do a thousand password guesses on an account. I mean, that would be bad. The next thing you need to do is on, on an admin account, in particular, and also your financial accounts where you can. 
is use this thing called multi-factor authentication. That sounds really complicated, but that just means that you have two ways to identify you, that it's really you, you know, to authenticate that it's you. Identifying you is your name, you know, your user ID. The authentication part is your password, or maybe you have like a token that you have to key in. It says, you know, after you enter the password, it sends you maybe a, a text to your phone. And uh, says enter the text that's on your phone, or maybe you have an app you've downloaded to your phone, and, and then the app comes up with a, a text or a, a number numerical string that you put in, or maybe you have one of these devices that, that you might get from one of your financial providers that have you press a button and it gives you a number, and you, you key that in. On an administrative account, you need some way. You really ought to consider doing a two forms of authentication in order to get into that account. And that is the plugin that was compromised at, uh, you know, at one of the places I was at on WordPress is that you need to keep it updated. So the third thing is, is to keep the software for your website updated because there are vulnerabilities coming out all the time. And maybe on the machine that you surf the Internet on, you don't update it all the time because, you know, updates are kind of a pain. You know, Apple seems to want to update at the least (laughs) <laughs> least opportunistic time, you know, when you're trying to shut your machine down or something like that. So I don't have automatic updates turned on, and I probably should. Uh, but then I do update often. You know, a Windows machine is really important because at, at the summit, we're going to talk about which kind of devices, which kind of operating systems are the most susceptible to malware. So that if you're going to go, you know, look for something, a device, you know, to do to do important things, you know, what 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 should what should you look for? Which one is more susceptible? Older versions of Windows are most susceptible. Okay. That doesn't surprise me because, I mean, they're more susceptible to, yeah, like you said, malware. And, mm-hmm. you know, Apple is notorious for not getting as many viruses and things like that. Yeah. So so iOS devices, uh, either a phone or an iPad, are the most secure devices. I, Apple has is really curating their entire value chain. So they really monitor the App Store. And they really have locked down the, the devices so that it is difficult for bad actors to compromise the device or, or put a keystroke locker. But it still happens. To give you kind of scale, there's maybe thousands of malware that hits an iOS device. There's maybe tens of thousands of malware out there that works on a Mac. And there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of pieces of malware that work on various releases of Windows. Wow. Give you kind of a sliding scale there. And then Android is somewhere in, you know, in there. It, it's not as secure as iOS, particularly with the way that the telecom providers don't update the OS for you. It's like uh, I use an Android device just so I can develop on my Android phone. It's easier to do a sideload software than it is on a, on an iPhone. You, you get a you know, enroll in the developer program and do everything through the through the Apple site. It's kind of a pain. But on Android, I can just divide, write some code, put it on, and plug in my phone and download it. So, you know, I can get it running right away. But it's also easier to hack on an Android device because of the older releases and, and the patches aren't as, as good. And the op- operating system isn't quite as secure in, in addition. Although I still use it for my second factor for for my banking and other things, but I don't do banking on that device because I know it's a lot less secure. So that's kind of the things that you got to think about. It's all about trying to figure out how to be resilient. Now, the one thing we haven't talked about yet is backups. Do you back up your blog? 
Yeah, we have it backed up in a couple different places uh, on our both through our servers. It automatically does backups, and then we also have it backed up in a couple other places. And then we have backups yeah. for all of our, obviously, our videos and our computers are backed up and things like that. That is really important to do backups, particularly on your income generating intellectual property. Uh, the other thing that is important to do backups on is your personal devices. Most of us are not very good at that because it takes too long, right? And it's just a pain backing up our computers. So, for example, you know, I, I think that I heard that, that either you or Melissa had a computer problem and one computer was down. Both computers went down the same day. Oh, wow. So yeah. do you have backups of those computers? I'm trying to think. I mean, we have it on the iCloud. So, like, all of our photos and stuff automatically get synced up to iCloud. Okay. So it's that. would you consider that a proper backup? Uh, that is one form of backup. So I'm going to talk about the conference, three forms of backups, okay? Okay. The most rigorous form of backup that most people will probably never do is called a system image or a disk image, although that's kind of the misnomer now since a lot of these computers are not disks. They're, they're flash RAM for, for store, main storage. So basically what an image does is it takes a look at your hard drive and it makes a clone of your hard drive or your, your RAM drive or whatever it is. And... So if you lose the drive, you can just plug clone in and you can boot from it and keep on trucking. Hmm. But it, it takes a while to, to build and you can't use the computer while it's doing it. So most people say, well, I'm not going to do that. I do them at major events of a computer, like when I'm upgrading the operating system, uh, doing a major upgrade or something like that. When, when Apple says you want to upgrade uh, to High Sierra or something like that, then I will do a clone of my disk. Same thing on, on Windows. When I Before I upgraded to Windows 10 on my ancient Windows laptop, I, uh, I cloned the disk. I did an image. I also tend to keep laptops a long time. So I like to say, well, you know, I, you know it came with a 256-gigabyte disk, and I want to put in a 2-terabyte disk. So I'll clone the old disk to the 2-terabyte disk, and I'll just put the other drive in. And now i got 2 terabytes on my laptop, hmm. which is pretty unusual, but... But disk prices are getting so cheap that it's it's uh, reasonable to do that now. The other kind of backup is like what you're doing with iCloud. You can also do that with a small USB or FireWire or Thunderbolt-enabled external drive. And you just copy big chunks of your hard drive over there in order to have a backup. Now, it's important we're in RVs, right? So we move, we move around a lot and we face different kind of risks than other people. It's important to have a backup that's off-site. So iCloud is definitely off-site. It's out there in cyberspace somewhere. So it's not in your RV. The other way you could do it is you could have a hard drive and you could leave it with friends and family, somebody that you really trust because it's going to have a lot of stuff on there you care about. So that's the second level is, is having, you know, the majority of the things you could, you could get running again by having it. And what we're talking about is managing continuity of your business and your life, right? Res you're being resilient. You're going to be able to, it doesn't impact you too much if you lose something. So let's talk about the least invasive kind of level of backups is to just copy the work that you're doing right now. The things that you need to do, like in the next few days, I want to have a backup every hour or every, you know, every time I do a major thing. So if I lose any work, if I'm in a PowerPoint or a, or a Word doc and it craps out and it loses everything that I just did in the last hour, you know, that might piss you off. But if you lost four hours, that would really, <laughs> really be a, a pain. Yeah. So at certain points, you're going to back things up. What I do is I carry a really tiny USB drive. On my keychain, that's with me all the time. 
So if something happened, I lost my computer, uh, I lost all of my backups that were in the RV for some reason, and we'll talk about how that can happen because it has happened. Then I can still go down to Best Buy and buy a, or an Apple Store or wherever and buy a replacement device and plug in my USB, download the software I need, and I get get running in a, in a minimum amount of time. So it doesn't completely destroy my life. So what being cyber resilient is about, you know, when you have an event, because you will have one, everybody has them. You can't protect against everything and all the bad stuff in cyberspace now. It's going to hit you. What you need to do is you need to be resilient. You need to be able to recover and go. So it's not a life changing event. It's just a little bit of the pain. And the same thing with if you get this ransomware on your drive. If you have a disk image and you have ransomware, instead of saying yes and paying the Bitcoin and have it not work, what you do is immediately you turn it off. You take out the drive, put in your your clone and you reboot and you're good to go. I love it. That's awesome. Well, I know we're going to dig into this more at the the summit, but just parting thoughts on your part. What's one thing that somebody can go out and do today to better protect themselves to be cyber resilient? Uh, one of the best things you can do is to make sure that everything you use as a challenge question, when you reset your password, they're kind of a pain. Everybody's using a mother's maiden name, pet dog, first car, that kind of stuff. Make sure that nothing you put on there is in anywhere on social media. So what I recommend doing is you use not just your mother's maiden name, but you have like a date and a place or something like that. So you have lots of other stuff in there. They're usually sentences, not just words. So make it really hard to guess because the worst thing you want to do is have someone like reset your your email and hijack your email or some other account that you like, or maybe Facebook by just guessing and resetting your password, that would be really bad. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where is a, a good place for people to connect with you online, David? Uh, my email address is dhenry at acm.org and on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm not on Facebook very much because to me, Facebook is more of a virus. <laughs> but uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm David Henry CTO. That was my end name. Put something about the RV Summit in there so I will I will uh, know who you are because I, I, I don't do uh, blind uh, blind inquiries, blind yeah. dates. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, David. Uh, my pleasure, Heath. Looking forward to seeing you in, yeah, in Fredericksburg. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with David Henry. If you want to check out the show notes in this episode, head on over to heathandalyssa.com and click on podcast. Just a quick reminder... We have our upcoming RV Entrepreneur Summit. It's actually next week, which is craziness. And we will be live streaming it out again on Facebook. So we'll be live streaming all of the speakers and it's going to be a lot of fun. And we have some amazing talks lined up this year. So if you type in Heath and Alyssa on your Facebook page and you like our page, that is where we will be live streaming our summit from. So you can tune in and watch all the talks from the upcoming conference and it will be a lot of fun. Once again, thank you guys for listening and I'll see you next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.